atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here The evidence is all around That the Spirit of the Lord is here ...than he relates to anything else in creation. anything else in creation. That means at the core of your identity and being, you were designed to know him as father, as daddy. (laughs) You get to have that father-son relationship with him. That one that there's immediate recognition. And in Genesis 3, when what we call the fall was it just a rule that was broken? There was a separation there. They stepped away from God and tried to be self-sufficient and started thinking from an orphan heart. And now, how many billions of people are on this planet? And the large majority of us tend to see life from an orphan heart, not from a son of God heart. When, they, when it says that he's going to give us dominion, actually, he doesn't say he gives it to us. He says it is. They have dominion. They are to do this. It's an assignment. It's a job. It's a purpose. Most of you who raise kids, you know, they need purpose. They need assignments to learn maturity. It's what you get to do. And when you think about it, if... He's our father. Do you think he has a family business? Yeah, he does. And it tells us in the Bible that, you know, it's to fill all the earth with his knowledge and glory like the waters cover the sea. So if we get to do that, that's our family business. Do you think we should get about it? Yeah. Dominion, though, it's not control. Let's not get those mixed up. You see, God doesn't control us. He gave us that free will. He gave us choice because he wants the relationship and intimacy with us. He doesn't want us there because we have to be. It's the same with how you handle the dominion over the earth. It's not about control. We simply have authority because of who daddy is. Really, you don't have to qualify. You don't have to write up a resume and say, here's my qualifications for being able to fill all the earth with his knowledge and glory like waters cover the sea. It's really nepotism at its most outrageous, (laughs) just simply because we're his kid. That's why we get to do it. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he is our qualification, And that's why, even though it seems unfair and it might seem like, well, isn't there more to it than that? We definitely have skills to develop. We definitely have maturity to develop. But it makes absolutely no difference in the fact that we are his son. Let's go over that a little bit. There's three Greek words, and I'm only going to use one of them, but there are Greek words out there that indicate the levels of maturity within a child. 
And there's one that refers to a child, and they're talking about, you know, immature children. Little toddlers, maybe. But the thing is, it doesn't matter that it is a toddler. That's still every inch their child. It doesn't matter that they're stubborn. It doesn't matter that they're still in the training twos. They are still his child. You're not going to hand them the keys to the car and expect anything good to come from it. Over the last couple of days, we've had a little bit of uh, training twos going on in the Meeker household. And uh, <laughs> little Leslie, the other day, she's, uh, she wanted something that her older sister had. And all of a sudden, we hear a blood-curdling scream come from about two rooms over. And Leslie had decided the best way to get that would be to drop kick Sissy in the face. And so over the course of quite a while, convincing Leslie after a swat and time in the corner that she should acknowledge that that was wrong for her to do and that she would never do it again took quite a process because she wanted to talk about her problems. Was it wrong to kick Sissy? My ankle really hurts. I, mm -hmm. Was it wrong to kick Sissy? My finger. I mean, and it was like this over and over and over again until finally got through. Had to win that one, didn't you guys? <laughs> but the point is, she is no less their daughter. But at the same time, she's being trained in that household and in the name of the Meeker household, and that doesn't fly. She tries to drop kick, drop kick sissy in three or four years, we might actually be in the ER. Now, there's also a Greek word that refers to an adolescent child. This one's more in apprenticeship, more in training. And this one... You're still probably not going to give them the keys to the car, but you might let them drive while you're in it. No less a child, no less a son, with every bit of the DNA intact. And then there's the one that's my favorite. This one is weos. A mature son. Every time this one is used, this, this son is representing the family business. Everything they do is in Jesus' name. This son, not only can you hand him the keys to the car, but you can go ahead and hand over a debit card too, and you know everything's going to be fine because you have given him authority to function in your name. And when we talk about in Jesus' name, we've, we've talked about this. A lot of people seem to use it in prayer like they're trying to coerce God or they're trying to use it like a spell or a mantra that in Jesus' name I say this is going to happen. That's misunderstanding of what this means. In Jesus' name means I am that son. I am weos. And he has given me the authority to pray for you in his name. Not only the authority, but he's given it to you as the family business. It's expected. Romans 8:14 For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. That sons, that's we us. They're giving expression of mature sonship. 
It goes on in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Again, that one's the weos, not the child or the adolescent. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That adoption, it's not a piece of paper. When we walk up and we say the sinner's prayer, we're not signing on the dotted line and we're now adopted. We literally have his DNA within us. We are now a part of his family. You're related. Kin, as a lot of Southerners like to say, you're kinfolk. You're born from above, you carry his DNA. And you've become a partaker of his divine nature. It's not legally status. It's an intimate, mature son by birth. And you're born again. Puts a different spin on that, doesn't it? You're part of the family by birth. There's a family here in in our church, we laughingly refer to the Williams clan. Well, there's a church that I'm also very connected to in Tucson who has a Perez clan. And they're, you know, big family, love each other. They welcome people in. And I couldn't help but be reminded by something that kind of makes you scratch your head when you first become a part of the family there because... One of the daughters had a marriage that didn't go well and made a decision that they weren't going to stay married after many years. And all the ins and outs of why they divorced aren't really relevant, but the parents basically told her, okay, you're a big girl, do what you need to do, but he's a part of our family, you made him a part of our family. So when it's Thanksgiving and it's Christmas, he's coming, and you're just going to have to figure out how to deal with it. And so these days, he's there with his new wife, and she's there with her new husband, and they get in conversations about the amount of snoring that goes on at night and whatnot, and you're just going, ah, this is weird. You know, it kind of throws you for a loop to start with, and then you realize, okay, so they're not married, then how does she know? Oh, okay. But you know what? It works. They figured it out because they're now family. How do we know if we have that orphan heart? That can be a tough one until you get to know what it is. Most people who function with an orphan heart, and I dare to say you don't function, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're growing, in God and you're really looking to make changes, not every part of your life is going to be looked at from an orphan point of view. You're going to kind of go in stages. So you've got to listen to him and you've got to watch for those things. But somebody who seems to be looking at most things from an orphan heart, they're going to say, they're going to have no identity. I just, I really don't know who I am. When I'm with this group of people, I'm like this. And when I'm with that group of people, I'm like that. 
And when I'm here, I'm like this. But when I'm by myself, wait, no, I don't want to do that because I don't know who that is. I'm not comfortable with that. I want to figure out something to fill that time because I'm not comfortable with me. They don't belong. No sense of belonging. No sense of family or connection with people. Even if there's genetic family right there, there can still be that sense of no belonging. That feeling of, maybe I was adopted. I've heard people say that. I don't know how I got in this family. Are you sure that I was born to both of you? No security, no significance. Most commonly, somebody who really sees the world from an orphan heart will live very passively. Just let life carry you along. Man, I hate my job. I complain about it all the time, but I'm not going to do anything about it because it's better to be in the hell you know rather than what you don't. Eh, I'll just keep going. Or... It can be the complete opposite. I'm trying to give myself identity with the assignment that I feel like I have in life. And guess what? You never can accomplish that. You'll never, ever, ever find your true God-given identity through assignment. It just doesn't happen that way. But since there's no connection and intimacy in my life, I tend to try to control and manipulate everything because I want to manufacture what I think I need. I can't leave it up to fate. I can't leave it up to anybody else to treat me right. I have to control and manufacture everything. But that can be healed. That's the upside, you guys. Even when you can't figure out what the next step is. He outlines it for us. When we look at this thing of adoption, what he's talking to us about, understand as I move into this, all of the understanding and head knowledge in the world isn't gonna get this taken care of. It's not about just teaching. There has to be an encounter. Our God is a God of intimacy. Our God is a God of touch and feel, and senses. You cannot get there just by understanding and intellectually wrapping your mind around it. Psalm 139, 5 and 6. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful wonderful for me. It's high, and I can't contain it. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. He didn't sit you down and take you through a class. Those are wonderful. Getting knowledge is great, as long as you don't see it as the end result. You need the knowledge from his touch. That knowledge that can come simply from an encounter, and you never would have got there by opening a book. You could read scripture until you're falling asleep and never get there. And as wonderful as scripture is and as foundational as it is and keeps us on the right path, I never, ever, ever want you to understand from me that you should not be reading your Bible. But 
you've got to have that touch, that encounter along with it. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transforming by the renewing of your mind. A lot of us would want to look at that and say, okay, I need to learn more. I need to figure this out. How many Sunday school classes have you been to? How many Bible studies have you been to? And did it fix everything? Again, they're good things to do. But do you ever notice that the more you know, the more you stay the same? Because we tend, our human brain, and I know I do this, and I'm going to say all of us do this, we tend to take this new knowledge and pack it into what we already think and feel and keep building a case for the way we are. Without him and his touch and his power involved in it, we'll continue down that path. Without him saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, stop, be still, and know that I am God. Let me touch you. Let's have that skin-to-skin contact. Most of us have seen the science evidence of babies and how they need that skin-to-skin contact with mom and dad. I've been blessed watching the Craig Baum's two little preemie babies and that finally that day that she was able to put both of those babies on her chest and have skin-to-skin with them. You could feel it through the picture. He wants that with us. So it's not accumulating biblical knowledge. It's letting him renew our mind. There's an orphan's way of thinking, and there's a son's way of thinking. And look at the prodigal son. Most of us know that story. When he decided to come back, that father didn't say, okay, you're back. Go through this series of classes. I'm going to send you to rehab, and we're going to get through everything. The first thing, now some of that may, may have come later. They didn't tell us that. But the first thing he did is this very dignified, wealthy patriarch grabbed his robes, took off running, and fell on him and kissed him. Touch. It's the similar language when they talk about the upper room and when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Touch, encounter, intimacy. And when that happened to those people in the upper room, do you think they were able to walk out right then and start telling everybody what the Holy Spirit was and how it worked and what we needed to do? Did they have all of the mental knowledge to go with it? Mm -mm. But you couldn't convince them it wasn't real. Not in a moment. But there's no probation period involved in this. No matter how much we've been looking from an orphan heart, when we decide to switch and let him help us go into a son's way of thinking, there's no probation period. The son will come out now, not tomorrow. Ephesians three eighteen. And you may have the power to understand, 
as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Ah, intimacy. And when you come to him, I just I have this picture almost of him coming and giving you CPR, taking his breath and going, and filling your lungs. I loved that Sandra put that on the list today. It's his breath in our lungs. And he's right there and he's ready. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day. He made you for this. He designed you for this. And as in everything God creates, there's a co-laboring and a partnering involved here. But our part is so small and his part is big. And he's given us every piece we need for our part. I know that dad has used this analogy before and it's perfect here of the sailboat. When you picture a sailboat skimming across the water, the sails are up and the wind is filling those sails and moving it along. The wind is the power that's moving the boat. The breath of God, the wind of God. All we've got to do is put the sail up. That's it. But that breath of God can blow and blow and blow. And without that sail up, it's not going to do much. It's going to make some waves and kind of rock that boat around, but it's not going to move anywhere with purpose. But the thing is, he gave us the sail already. He gave us everything we need. He gave us will. All we have to do is choose it. My job is always to lift the sail. That's pretty easy when you think about it. So what steps can we take? What areas can we lift that sail and get his breath of God? Some of that's going to be personal between you and God today, those areas in your orphan heart. Just be really careful not to look at it as a formula. When something works, don't think, ooh, okay, that's how it's going to be, and I want to stick to it just like that. Because every time you lift that sail, it's a fresh breath of God. So you need to be listening to him. When I think of orphans and I think of foster children, and we had several foster children over the years, and I remember a specific couple of young girls that came to live with us, and they had had it rough. They had been in foster homes that really just wanted the money and didn't really care much about them. And food was a real issue for them, making sure that they had enough food and not and knowing that there's going to be another meal. And I remember the feeling that we had the first time we found an apple core laying in our yard after they had been out playing because they would eat an entire apple, the core and all. But knowing that it's okay for me not to eat this part because I can have another apple if I want it. That's sonship right there. Understanding that resources are something unlimited, not something finite. And <laughs> I just, I remember that day they, when we found a banana peel where the inside hadn't been scraped out completely. All those little things. 
orphan heart, sonship. And the reason why this isn't formula driven is because when we act and we put that sail up and we let his wind take us, we're simply acting in alignment with what's already true. We're not creating something. We're not manufacturing something. We're not putting something into, into being. But understanding that is the difference between life and death, you guys. The challenges that we have in life, like we were talking about earlier, it'll let you know where you're at in your heart. Do you panic when you realize the finances aren't quite working the way you thought? Or do you go, okay, God, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to help me fix it? And you put that sail up and let the wind show you what to do. It reveals our transformation. And don't think of it as a pass or fail kind of test. Because in Ephesians 4, through 24, it says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Yeah, we take steps, but look at what he told us would happen. <laughs> we have to start seeing our life as a life of abundance instead of a life of lack. Now, not tomorrow. Now. We don't say, oh, eventually he's going to help me. Eventually this is going to work out. Now. We need to give ourselves, give of ourselves like there's more than enough. If I'm wondering why my life isn't turning out the way I thought it would, I need to stop being passive and live my life abundantly. If you're living from the heart of a son, you're not going to worry that you're going to give away so much that there's not enough left for you. Don't just think finances here. Give of your talent. Give of your help to help someone else at their home. Generosity goes far beyond that. We have to step away from the passivity. We've got to get out there and live it, you guys. And now. <laughs> Not when you think the time is right. If you hear of someone who's sick, go pray for them. Remember, you have the authority and you're going in Jesus' name. You hear someone who lost their job, go see what you can do. Hey, how you doing? How you feeling about this? What options do you have? I'm good at making resumes. Can I help you put together a resume? God brings attention, somebody to your attention that's struggling with addiction. You ask him, Lord, what am I supposed to do here? Maybe I'm just supposed to go to coffee with this person. Maybe I'm supposed to check in on them two or three times a week or a day. Maybe I'm supposed to invite them over for supper. Put the sale up. Find out. God gives you a great idea for a business. Start exploring it. Mary, we need to explore it. She and I were talking about something here recently. We need to explore it. We need to start taking the steps and figure out if God is giving this to us. More than likely, because I don't know where else it would have come from.
you keep thinking, how do we still think of something new? We put up the sale. And I know where our finances are concerned. In Malachi, he says, test me in this. But he tells us that in other areas, too. He's not afraid for you to test him. Say, okay, God, let's see how this goes. I'm going to try what you said works. Test him. Be generous. Are you feeling lonely? You go and be that person to others and make sure they're not lonely. And I'll tell you what, in a few months, you're going to realize your loneliness is gone. You start giving of your time for others. You feel like you're kind of in this world alone. Look for somebody else who might feel that way and make sure they don't feel alone. And guess what? You're not alone anymore. You cannot give more than he can give back. Lift the sail. And don't worry that you're going to lose yourself in the process. Because really, guys, hasn't that already happened? If a person is living completely from an orphan heart, haven't we lost ourselves? So let's find ourselves. That's what I say. As a, limited, as a son, you have unlimited supply of these things. Test him in this because he's not holding anything out on you. He's got it all right there. I'm going to read this last grouping of scripture if the guys could play that song I wanted here towards the end. We're going to go back to that Romans 12, but we're going to read a little bit more of it and from the message version. Just close your eyes for a moment and listen to this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Todd, can you guys play that song, please? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And just consider some things. You notice when you read in Romans that the Bible talks about the spirit of adoption and he's talking about the spirit of God. That in his mind it's done. And the challenge is for you to respond with this, he's my daddy. He's, he's Abba. That word has become very special to me over the last few weeks. That he wants to take you to a place where you have such confidence that just meshing your life with someone else's is going to change them. I don't have to get them to pray a prayer. I don't have to get them to do anything. If they will allow me to put my life alongside theirs, they'll change. Because that spirit of adoption will flow through me and touch them and demand a response. 
Uh, I don't think anybody here works at McDonald's, so I'm going to use this for an example. My job at McDonald's is so important because of the people I work with. And no matter how they live their lives, I go into that with the Spirit of God in me. I'm adopted. I'm, I'm, I'm a powerful person because of Him. My life's going to affect them. They're not going to draw me their way. I'm going to draw them my way. I don't care how much corruption is in the leadership in that place. I'm going to have an effect. And yeah, I might get fired, but I'm going to have an effect. And it's not going to necessarily be my mouth. It's going to be my life. And they're going to find out what it is to have the Spirit of God coming forth from me because I live in the name. My goodness, what, what a message directly from the heart of God. Saying to people, come on people, I empower you to change your world. I want you to taste the victory. I want you to know what it is to overcome and to become that person that I've called you to be. We're going to develop this even more. It's interesting as we enter into the Easter Sunday, we're going to develop this even more. Because I'm telling you that the resurrection was not just a dead man coming to life. And that's all. I'm just going to leave it right there. But that's not all it was. Something important, something powerful. Now, here's the challenge. Some of you have been gripped with the knowledge that you've lived like an orphan as Leslie was ministering this morning. I don't want to make that a public thing, but I want you, as we're just being quiet before him, I want you to let Father touch you with the way he thinks of you. Just ask him that question that seems so hard for people to ask. God, what do you think of me? And then let him talk to you. I'll guarantee you it's different than you think. It's probably different than anybody else thinks. He thinks of you differently. Let him tell you what that is. Just recently, I asked a lady to ask God that question, and she went all the way around so many things that she had already asked God, but it wasn't that question. <clears throat> all kinds of reasons why she didn't need to ask that question. But she wasn't asking that question. Ask him. God, what do you think of me? I can get a picture in my mind of, of <clears throat> is it Jonathan and Katie? I know the, that has the twins. Is it uh, Jonathan and Katie? Uh, yeah. I've seen the pictures of mom and dad's faces as they first were able to hold those kids. And I've thought in my mind, that's God. That they don't look at those kids and say, how dare you come early and have all these problems and we, can't, we don't even get to hold you. No, they just pull them in and say, it's my babies. It, it, it's something that's a blessing. And you know what, that's the way God looks at you. Now, I challenge you as you go this morning to develop that through the week. As you're working in that job that you hate, I'll tell you something, God likes that job. He likes those people that are doing things so differently than you would do them. He likes them enough to have put you there. 
not to stand aloof. They're just doing it all wrong. But to somehow engage their life so that the life that is in you can touch them and do something with them. He likes them enough to put you there. And he likes you so much that he had the confidence to put you there in the most outrageous places. I just love this big old messy, unwieldy thing that he calls the church. It's the way he runs his business. <clears throat> it's messy and it's unwieldy. It's like a big old family that sometimes they don't get along, but in the middle of it all, we're still family. They're still family. And that, the Perez clan, I love that aspect of that clan. <laughs> Everybody's family. I mean, you don't even have to marry into that family to become family. Just go eat a meal with them and they're family. And I like that because they cook some good meals. <laughs> you want some real Mexican food, that's some of the best in the world right there. Folks, this is what it's about. It's not about learning all the scripture and attending all the classes. I like for people to do that, but that's not what it's about. Can you imagine if you and I were to walk into heaven, whatever that is, and see Paul and Peter and all of them sitting around just talking about the things that they saw God do while they were in life. The amazing thing that was accomplished through their life. And they look up and say to us, well, how was it with you? Well, we attended class. We learned a whole lot of scripture. And most of them would say, scripture, you're talking about the Talmud, right? Because, see, they didn't have what we had. Uh, oh, yeah, but, but we were waiting on revival. Yeah? What about today just before you got here what you see that's what it's about what about today <laughs>